Jesus began to teach his disciples that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all of this quite openly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. This is the gospel of our Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning. If we haven't met, my name is Isaiah. I'm one of the pastors here at CTK. And um, wow, what a passage this morning. So, uh, so intense, you know, these Lenten passages. Um, I'm, I'm grateful for them and also a little bit intimidated. So bear with me this morning. Um, we're in the second Sunday of Lent, and Lent, we've been talking about around here, is uh, it's a time of liberation and deliverance from sin, where God sets his people free. And particularly thinking about Mark's gospel, he's, uh, he's introducing um, Jesus and his way in terms of like a new exodus. This is true of other gospel authors as well, but especially in Mark. And if you think about that story, like if you were to ask an Israelite, like, what does salvation mean, right, prior like to this and even in this day, right? They, they would say, well, yeah, it's like God's deliverance. Salvation is like when he like freed us from slavery uh, in, in Egypt and brought us into the promised land. Um, but of course, like they didn't stay in the promised land. And so part of their long history is this kind of painful like exile from that promised land. Um, but the prophets began to talk about, you know, during that time of exile, they began to say, God's going to do a new thing. He's going to bring a new exodus. And so that was something that people began to kind of like look forward to and anticipate um, and in the time of Jesus was still not yet fulfilled. And so all of a sudden like Jesus comes on the scene and he's going out to the desert for 40 days and he's going back through the Jordan and he's reliving all of Israel's like um, all their steps, all their journey. And um, he's feeding people kind of like a Moses figure. But some of the things he, he does are not just like like a Moses figure, but they're the kinds of things that Yahweh did when he like, delivered his people. He's healing them. Um, he's carrying them forward into the new thing that he has for them. Uh, in Luke's gospel, like the story that comes right after this one in Mark, which feels like we've maybe spent so much time in this year, um, the baptism scene and the transfiguration scene, we've, we've touched on, if you've been around here, a couple different times. That's not our fault. If you've just been hearing that in repetition, that's the lectionary. We're just preaching what's been handed to us. But um, that, that scene of transfiguration where Jesus takes his disciples up on the mount and um, he's up there. And then, of course, like this kind of mystical experience, a cloud symbolizing the presence of God. And then like Moses and Elijah and, and uh, Mark gives us a really short version. We actually mentioned this last week. You know, his rendition is very quick and to the point. But Luke describes and expands on what they're talking about. You ever wonder about that? What are they talking about up there? Um, Moses and Elijah and Jesus, and the, as the disciples are kind of freaked out and trying to figure it out. And uh, 
Luke tells us that they were talking, the, the English translation is they're talking about his departure, but actually the Greek word is they're talking about his exodus, referring to the cross. That's what Moses and Elijah and Jesus are talking about. Um, they're talking about the, the exodus to come, and of course they're talking about the cross. And that brings us to this passage this morning because up until this point in, in, in Mark's gospel and in the transfiguration, there hasn't been this uh, realization for the disciples yet that, that the way of Jesus, the way that he's going to bring God's kingdom involves necessary public humilita- uh, humiliation and torture. And so they're taken aback. You can see in the beginning of this reading, Peter's just like, no, that is like, that's got to be the opposite of the will of God. There's no way that's happening. And Jesus double downs on, d- doubles down on it and also like invites people and then begins to say, and also you're going to have a part in this. There's going to be a participation for you. You're also going to have to carry your cross. And so we want to talk about that today. Um, if you don't hear anything else this morning, I want you to, to hear this. This is, this is just one dimension of the cross, but it's essential, and we just can't skip over it. Carrying our cross is deeply connected to Jesus and his cross. His cross means forgiveness for us. Our cross means that same forgiveness for others. I'll say that again. His cross means forgiveness for us, and our cross means that same forgiveness for others. Okay, so I want to talk first and foremost about Jesus and his cross because I feel like it's getting bad publicity, and I, I really want to I really want to talk about the goodness of the cross. Um, uh, Seth was pointing out to me this morning that we were reading Psalm 22. That was our responsive psalm this morning. Some of you may know that psalm starts off, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which, if those words sound familiar, are the words that Jesus cries from the cross, right? And sometimes when we're talking about the cross, we kind of imagine it as sort of the moment where there's a rupture between, like, God and the Father, and, like, he, uh, he turns his face away and you know, he can't, he can't uh, bear to look on him. Um, and there's different versions of that, but some of it's just like, well, the sin is too much. He's bearing sin and God can't abide sin. So therefore, God's sort of like at a distance. It's like, well, Jesus, you're on your own with this. And uh, nothing could be like further from the truth. And this Psalm is so interesting. Even if you just stayed in Psalm 22, um, you know, Jesus's hearers, they would have known when he began quoting from the, the, the Psalm, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And they would have known the, the context of the rest of the psalm. It's a long psalm. We read a bunch of it this morning. It's very powerful. But the irony of that idea that God turns his face away, which is not a, a scriptural idea, um, is that actually quite the opposite is true from the psalm. As we read this morning, he says he t- doesn't turn his face away from him. And so um, the first thing we want to say about the cross is actually that God was in Christ. This is the language of Paul. God was in Christ not counting people's sins against them. God was in Christ at the cross, reconciling the world to himself, right? So we need to see, like in Jesus, not just like the scapegoat sent off far away, but actually that God has entered in, that God has borne the brunt of people's evil and sin and despair. And even just to say, guys, I mean, we experience like God forsakenness. We do. Do we not? Like, is this not something that is familiar to us? I, I find myself... I, I love to pray. I love to engage God. There are moments in my life where I don't always feel connected to God. And there are some times where I feel like that prayer, the cross is more like my own. Like, where are you, God? Where, where are you in the midst of all my pain and my suffering? And so I think what we should see, for example, at the cross when Jesus cries out aloud is that 
Jesus takes on our God-forsakenness, the, the way we feel, not that God has forsaken us, but that more that we have forsaken him and that we also experience alienation from him. We feel separated from him. And uh, God's decisive response to that is to come close to us in Jesus. And he comes close to us in the cross. Um, see, the, the cross gets kind of a, a bad rap in some ways because it kind of, it gets talked about almost like it's like a functional thing, like a mechanism. We talk about it in term, economic terms, like sort of like, you know, um, Jesus dies and then we've got this big debt. And so then we're going to get some credit to our bank account. Have you guys heard this before? You know, which is profoundly impersonal, which is really interesting. It's a very transactional kind of way to think about the cross. And, and maybe there's some truth to that in the sense that, like, Jesus does lift our burden. And he bears our sins and, and, and our diseases and all of the suffering that we experience. But he does so by coming close, by coming in our humanity, by experiencing the, what we feel in our alienation from God and bringing God close to us. I love um, this morning as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about, like, why do we get the cross so wrong? Why do we feel like it's this element of God's like judgment? And we, we almost feel like it's as if when we're talking about the cross, it's a time of distance from God, right? Like it's the way that we, we talk about it and it's like, okay, well then that had to happen. And like, you know, Jesus was in our place, but now God can't even look at him. And so that's how we should be with him. And we sort of get it backwards. It's like, we, we assume that the cross is the revelation of God's wrath at us, you know, instead of seeing uh, the cross is the place where God reveals his love and his, his willingness to come and pay the price and come inside of our condition to bring us close. Um, I was thinking about John 3.16 this morning. You guys know that one? You know, you know, it reminds me of Tim Tebow. I don't know if you guys remember that guy, but I think he had it like in his, uh, did he have it in his, what are the, what's it called? Yes, that's right. Yeah. But we're still talking about it. So maybe he was onto something. I don't know that guy. Um, so, but he's, you know, that verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but what? Everlasting life. I think that's an unfortunate translation. Not that it's wholly wrong, but, um, you know, we uh, often think about that as sort of like, well, maybe that has something to do with like what happens to us after we die, that we go to heaven, you know, after we die. And um, I'm not saying that doesn't include that, but there's something I think, um, much more intentional that Jesus is trying to get at in that. And he is really talking about what it means to really live. It's like actually kind of the opposite in a sense of like, we kind of assume that's mostly about later. And I think actually in a lot of ways, Jesus is saying it's, yes, it is about later, but actually what is, what is later, God's future, the way that God wills things to be is now going to begin to break into the present right now. Eternity is now in session. And so now you can begin to live the life that I actually have for you, the life that I made for you. See, another problem, and I, I won't go on too long about this because I want to get back to our passage, but another problem that we, when we talk about the cross is that we assume because we often start our, our gospel presentations, you know, there's like tracks and videos and lots of different ways to do it, and some of those are better than others, but a lot of times we start in Genesis 3. We start with sin as the problem, and so then we're sinners in need of a Savior, and so like, problem solution and then we go to heaven and we die and that's kind of the whole story and the problem with that story is is not that that not uh, true elements to it but it just doesn't square very well with the scriptures right like when you open the pages of the bible actually you read about people made to commune with god to be with god to know god right and to like 
come into this thing together with him, into this creation. And there's things he has for us to do, y'all, and he wants to do it with us. And then the problem of sin is not even just, it's not even just about willpower, which is another way that we kind of get off in thinking about this. But it's not even just that we like decide to go our own way. That's part of it. But we're actually also influenced by spiritual evil, which we've been talking a lot about in the last few weeks. And so, um, so the, the narrative, instead of like, if you imagine cutting the ed- ends off of the story, like where we start at Genesis 3 and we sort of end with the cross and maybe kind of heaven in the future, we need to talk about like what we were made for and what Jesus is bringing us back into. Because there's a, a new heavens and a new earth, y'all, that is actually like, the life that God's made for us to live in communion with him. And so that's what the cross is about. We need to put the cross back in that story, but we need to understand what's being picked up, what's being uh, picked up that's been lost before in Israel's story, but also in humanity's story. So it's a, it's a beautiful thing. It's a good thing. So we're going to talk about the cross. We're going to talk about our cross this morning, but I want to frame it in that big narrative because um, we're made for something. We're talking about laying stuff down. Sometimes Lent can kind of feel like the somber time where it's like, the organ music in the background or something like that. And it's actually, I actually think this is a time of our freedom. Do you guys feel that? Like there are things that we are laying down so that we can pick some stuff up again, like some good things, maybe for the first time, stuff that we, we've never like actually walked in. So the, the cross gets a bad rap. It doesn't need to. It's beautiful. I want to read just one last thing on that note. Here's Eugene Peterson's paraphrase. I really love this of John 3, 16 and 17. This is how much God loved the world. He gave his son, his one and only son, and this is why, so that no one need be destroyed. By believing in him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. God didn't go into the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. He came to help to put the world right again. Isn't that good news, y'all? That's really good news. So God's a communion of love, far from being divided on the cross. God's love is revealed, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is revealed, the self-giving God who sends his Son and pours out his Spirit, moves towards us in love at the cross. So that's Jesus and his cross. But what about our cross? And I was, I was like thinking about this, I was imagining, maybe you guys have seen like a passion play or one of these movies or something where like somebody's carrying this Mondo cross beam thing. And um, I was realizing when I was like reading about this, um, that's not actually what they were carrying. Like when Jesus is talking about carrying a cross, he's actually talking about what? Like the, the cross beam. There's a part even in his own crucifixion. You guys remember this part where like Simon the Cyrene gets like conscripted to like carry the cross beam? Because the Romans already had the other part. They, they were doing them all day. They got it going on. Um, so they, so I know, it's a little grotesque, but, but they would have them ca- uh, carry the, the cross beam part. And so I was thinking about that. And I was thinking about the symbolism of that because if forgiveness and love is what God is doing at the cross, if he's moving towards us in love, if he's forgiving us, and actually even before I say this, I wanted, to, um, I wanted to mention this. This week we had a prayer time and uh, we were going over the prodigal son story. And I won't, I won't uh, embarrass anyone, there's somebody in the room that was there and we love to read scripture slowly and meditatively. And we love to begin to converse with God by meditating on scripture. It's a really great thing. It's a super old thing. It's a 
a thing that the church has as its inheritance, but it's been lost. So we're reading the prodigal son story. And you guys remember that story Jesus tells on his way to the cross. And he's, he's talking about what God's like. And he tells a story about the son who goes off into the far country. And he like wastes everything. He wastes the inheritance he was given. So irresponsible. And then he comes to himself in a state of desperation, God-forsakenness. And he decides that he's going he's gonna, to he rehearses a speech. I'm going gonna, gonna to come back. I can't expect to be treated as a son. That's, that's long gone. But I could maybe um, come as like a servant because my dad treats his servants pretty well. So maybe, maybe that's what I'll do. So he rehearses the sermon. Like literally in the story, he rehearses it to himself. So he's like, okay. And then he's on the road and he's still rehearsing the sermon. And then before he can even get the words out of his mouth, the father runs out to him, tackles him, bear hugs him, pulls him close. See, this is what God is like. He moves towards us in love. And his, his love is not conditioned on our repentance even. The repentance part is important. But it's actually about us. He doesn't need our repentance. Remember, God was in Christ reconciling people to himself, not counting their sins against them. Like people were still, while we were still dead in our sins. This is like the gospel, right? So he like, he moves towards us before we've ever even changed our mind. He first loves us, right? So that's the, that's the motivation. So when we think about our cross, and we think about the God who is the, the father in the prodigal son story, as Jesus tells, the God who is in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins against them. And we come to our cross, and we think about that, uh, that cross beam sort of that you'd be carrying. I don't know if this is a helpful image for you, but as I began to realize like these two dimensions of the cross, I realized that God's forgiveness of us and his, his movement towards us in love is the thing that propels our forgiveness of others, right? So it's like God forgives us, we forgive others. God forgives us, we forgive others. These are the two dimensions of the cross. We pray the Lord's Prayer here every week at Christ the King, and uh, we say, uh, and now we pray the prayer that Jesus has taught us, and we are bold to pray. I love that part. And there's this line in there, it starts... Uh, Forgive us our trespasses. You guys know the next part? Yeah, see, for Jesus, even at his cross, he's forgiving people from the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. He's talking about us. He's talking about the crowds. He's talking about all the people that decided that they were his enemies or they thought they were his friends and they bailed or whatever. He just extends it, like, unconditionally. They're still, like, ramped up in a riotous mob, and he's like, forgiveness, love, like absorbs our evil and he comes to us in love and he defeats it at the cross, vindicated in the resurrection, the triune God in love, right? And so Jesus extends this kind of life to us, that whole and lasting life. He brings us in and he says, this is what life is like. You get to participate in my life. But here's the thing about Jesus's life. It's a life of forgiveness. So the natural flow is he forgives us, we forgive others right? That's why we pray it in the prayer. This is the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. That's what we say every week. And so, like, we actually re renounce our rights to, to hold on to unforgiveness because we're people who receive forgiveness from God. And so now we're the kind of people that we can extend that same forgiveness to others. 
Jesus isn't dealing with us transactionally where we like rack up a debt and it, he pays it off and then we skulk off trying to feel grateful and not rack up too much debt for the future. No, he's inviting us into his very life, into the economy of grace, where we, what we receive, we can extend. So picking up our cross means forgiving as we've been forgiven. The cross means forgiveness for us, our friends, our neighbors, and even our enemies. His cross means forgiveness for us. Our cross means that same forgiveness for others. I was thinking about this this week and thinking about like just kind of um, what a countercultural notion forgiveness is. You know, especially, I don't know if you all feel this, but I think we're in like an election year or something like that. There's all kinds of stuff going on online and uh, people looking for like little things to like, you like this thing on social media, therefore you're in this category or you posted this. Um, you know, we're a strangely very religious culture no matter what side of the political aisle we are. Very, very self-righteous, uh, very quick to hold offense. And yet God's brought us into his life. And I was thinking about some of the examples of people that have walked in forgiveness, even in our own culture, thinking about um, some of the intensity around racism in our culture. And um, the story that came to mind is um, young Dylan Roof in uh, 2015, white supremacist, walks into a church, historic black church in Charleston, South Carolina, and uh, kills nine people in a Bible study, nine African-Americans. And... Uh, as I was reading the story this morning, I had like vaguely remembered some of the details. And then somebody, actually somebody in our church who's, who's from Charleston originally was just, it came up in conversation. I went back and I'm reading through it. And uh, do you know what the, the relatives of those people did? At his bond hearing, which was only 48 hours from that event, many members of the family members who were killed, like out of pure hatred, mercilessly taken from them, they, be, they stood up in this hearing in front of God and everybody else, and they forgave this guy. I want to read you one of them, Nadine Kohler, who lost her 70-year-old mother, Ethel Lance. She said to Dylan, I forgive you. You took something really precious from me. I'll never ever talk to her again. I'll never be able to hold her again. But I forgive you and have mercy on your soul. And I love that example because it's so real life. And maybe it's extreme, but it's also like, it's so real. The loss is so real. You can hear it in her words. Um, what she's not saying is, oh, this doesn't matter. Don't worry about it, right? Like it's laughable to even say that because it's so extreme. But we do that sometimes with forgiveness, especially with lesser things. We just kind of like, well, I'll just try to like kind of get over it. Or I just kind of like, I'll just kind of know that you're like that in the, you know, in the future and just kind of be more guarded around you. Um, but I love that, in this kind of radical example that she does the thing that we have to do in forgiveness, which is she names the wound. She names the loss. She talks about it out loud publicly, right? But she doesn't let that loss keep her from extending what God has given to her. You know, it's a powerful witness, not just in these huge ways like this, but also in small ways. But I feel like this, this story is such a clear example of like, like he forgives us, like, right? The cross, like, God's forgiven us so we can forgive others. And they extend this like through a whole community. And the person I was talking to this week who's from Charleston, they said it was unbelievable. Um, they weren't really even a Christian at the time, but they were just like, it, the healing that began to flow from that one event, it just shocked everybody. 
It's like this act of violence and hatred shocked people, but then this act of love, redemptive love, like actually began to unify the city and heal things that weren't even going to be dealt with, but now are like being addressed. People are moving across racial lines, and they were like, we're not going to let this define us as a community. What a powerful witness, y'all. So as we're thinking about receiving forgiveness and extending forgiveness, um, I want to talk really quickly and really practically about how do we receive God's forgiveness? So just as a reminder, God has already forgiven us, so we don't we don't have to like rehearse our speech, our prodigal son speech. We don't have to justify it to him. Like he's actually already forgiven us. Um, but the question becomes for us, you know, if he's already forgiven us at the cross in his compassion and love, uh, the question comes for us, how can I receive it? How can we receive it? And I was thinking about this. I was thinking about obstacles to receiving God's forgiveness. Um, one of those that comes um, paramount to mind is, uh, God extends forgiveness to us, but we just can't forgive ourselves, right? And there's a fallacy here where we decide, I don't, it's really subtle, but do you hear it, y'all? You're like, when God's saying, I forgive you for everything you've ever done, right? He comes towards you in love. Before you've even woken up or come to yourself or decided that it was a, not a good thing or whatever, he's already done that. And then we withhold that forgiveness, we just we push it off because we decide, well, I, I just can't forgive myself. And there's, uh, there's an imbalance there where I think one of the issues is that we're still our own judge. We've decided that we're the one who's going to judge whether we're worthy or not. And actually, like, the work for us to do there is to release to God and say, you know what? You're the true, you are Jesus, you're Lord. You're the true judge. And therefore, like, I will not withhold your forgiveness from myself based on my own judgments, I stand before you. Like, I stand before you in your cross, like, with open arms, with an open posture to receive from you. Another thing that we do is God extends forgiveness to us through his cross, but we can't admit sin to ourselves or to others sometimes. I notice this myself. It's so frustrating. I was thinking about this yesterday. It was like something happened, and I just immediately went to blame. Like, I'm just like, who's, who's to blame for this? Someone, anybody but me. Like, if, and I don't know if that is, maybe I'm alone in that. Maybe I'm not alone. Hopefully I'm not alone in that. Um, people are like, that sounds like a problem, man. You should probably go to counseling. <laughs> um, but it's, it's, it's so quick. It's the, it's the age-old human story. We, we do something. This is the Adam and Eve in the garden. Like, it's like, oh, it's probably that person's fault, you know? And um, the, the fallacy here is that we, because we can never admit it to ourselves or to other people, then we can never be forgiven of it because we just can't name it. So the practice here is actually, and the encouragement is to bring things into the light. It's like disinfectant. It's like once it's in the light, it just doesn't have the room or the power to grow anymore. It can't hold us down anymore. It can't hold us back. So if we've been able to receive forgiveness from God, and we're not letting some of those things keep us from his forgiveness, from receiving his forgiveness, how do we know if we've really forgiven someone? Okay, and I was thinking about this too, and I was asking people, and honestly, if you have more ideas, come talk to me after the service, okay, because I'm, I'm gathering data on this, but um, these are just a few. This isn't exhaustive, so maybe you have your own specific way of like not forgiving people, and you should tell me about it, um, but uh, here's, here's one. Um, am I still building a case against them in my head? And just to say as a preface here, there's been a lot of abuse of the idea of forgiveness, um, especially in the church where we have like 
sex abuse and these scandals and all this intensity and power run amok. And then sometimes those in power or those who've been abusing say, well, you should just forgive, just forgive, forgive and forget. I just want to say really clearly, that's, a, that's an abuse of forgiveness. Um, and that restitution and reconciliation require both parties. They require repentance. So it's not the same as forgiveness. You can forgive someone that you're not even reconciled to or is, you're unable to be reconciled to. Even in the example of Dylan Roof, he was forgiven. He also went to prison, and he should have. So that there's, just, there's, there's some tension here. So hopefully you can hear the heart of it. But, but assuming that um, restitution and reconciliation aren't exactly the same uh, as uh, forgiveness, I'm asking myself, like, am I still building a case against them in my head? Am I just looking for all the reasons that they're wrong? Or um, am I punishing in my responses to them? One question I ask myself is, can I truly will the good for this person or for a group of people? And just as a side note, especially in this election year, like sometimes we're like, I can even ask like the room and be like, oh, well, is there anybody you haven't forgiven? And we'd be like, no, I think I'm fine, you know? But if we were to start to talk about certain groups of people, anyone that we would call them, the them, right? then all of a sudden it's like it brings up all of this intensity in our heart. And I think sometimes that's an eddy that we also get caught in because it feels a little bit less clear to us. Like if somebody wounds me, then I need to like name it and forgive it or whatever. But like groups of people, how can we forgive groups of people? But y'all, it's so essential that we do that. And we do it in the same way that we forgive other people in the sense of we, we need to name what it is that we're injured by and we need to begin to release people and begin to will the good. And I can't even imagine what our world would be like if even just Christians acted like that, if even just Christians leaned into that kind of cross-shaped vision for our world. Sometimes there are obstacles to forgiving people. Here's a couple more as we're moving to close. Sometimes our inability to name the ways that people have wounded us. So like we have a culture really affected by psychology and pro-counseling, pro-psychology. We are at Christ the King. We have wonderful counselors here. So just to say that, but also there's this element sometimes where um, we, we've grown in our ability to empathize or sympathize with people. And so we, somebody wounds us and we're like, well, but they had a hard childhood or this happened or they were really wounded. And, and we begin to kind of justify for them why that happened. And while it's really good to grow in empathy, that's not a bad thing. It may hold us back from actually being able to forgive the person because in that kind of scenario, we can never really name the wound as a wound. We can't just say it what it, what it is, right? Um, and I have found personally, I'm just offering this for free, <laughs> but like when I'm trying to like find people's motive, that's also another kind of eddy. And I think these kind of two go together, both this kind of like, well, this happened to them, therefore they don't know. And I don't know, they just acted out of this and there's really nothing to forgive in the end kind of, except for I'm still wounded. And so then I don't ever uh, experience God's like the power of his cross to be able to forgive and release other people and for him to heal the wound in myself. Um, but it's also motive is one of those things as well. Like, well, they probably didn't mean it. And it's like, if somebody runs over your foot with their car, whether or not they meant it, you still have a broken foot and you might still need to forgive that person. You, you still need healing. You, you still need something to be done, right? In that situation. And so, especially, I know it's tricky because when you're praying with other people, it's like, well, we don't want to gossip. We don't want to name all the things and build a case against somebody but especially on your own, or if you can do it with other people in a discreet way, I find it's really helpful just to say the thing. Just say what it is. Just like lay it out there before God. It's this thing. This person hurt me in these ways. 
And if I'm wrong about their motive, or if I'm wrong about you know, their history and what they were capable of or not capable of and their experience or whatever, let God sort it out. Because we don't want to be stuck just kind of in this limbo where we can never actually like release forgiveness to people because there's always some kind of reason why maybe they did this and I don't know, and so we're just kind of trapped. And God doesn't want us to live there, y'all. He's got freedom for us. So in closing, just if you hear one thing today, carrying our cross is deeply connected to Jesus and his cross, right? His cross means forgiveness for us. Our cross means forgiveness for others. There's many um, moments in our service where there's opportunities, Lord's Prayer at the table with our prayer teams. If you feel stuck this morning and you're like, I just don't know how to forgive this person. Maybe it's really bad, y'all. Maybe somebody hurt you really bad. And the Lord wants to heal that and healing and forgiveness are connected. So I want to take a second right now and just pray over us. We're going to move into the prayers of the people after this, but there are so many opportunities and moments today. Um, Don't let the service even go by without making an opportunity to like forgive somebody. Maybe take a second even right now. We'll just begin to pray for us. And if somebody comes to mind, begin doing that. If you feel stuck and you're, and you're just not sure how to get out, come pray with somebody. Come pray with one of our staff. Come pray with a prayer team. We would love to help you get unstuck in that because God's made us for life, a whole and lasting life. He's made us to live like lighter, like unburdened into the future that he has for us. So Jesus, help us. Help us to receive the forgiveness and love that you poured out at your cross. Help us to receive it for ourselves and be able to extend it to others. And Lord, I ask right now even that you would bring people to mind. If, if there's someone that, or a group of people that we need to extend forgiveness, that we're withholding, that we're punishing, Lord, that you would empower us by your Holy Spirit, that we would like leave lighter, that we leave more whole. We ask for that freedom. Yeah, in Jesus' name.